Welcome, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church and delighted to welcome all of you today to worship. Open your Bibles to the book of Lamentations. It's in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you. Grab that. In the Old Testament, there's a big book called Isaiah. You can usually find it. Next, right behind it is a book called Jeremiah. It's a big book, too. And then right behind Jeremiah is a little book called Lamentations. Lamentations is associated with the prophet Jeremiah. Some people think he wrote it. We don't know that he wrote it. He could have. Uh, it's certainly his sort of, his sort of thing. Um, Jeremiah preached for years and years and years to the people of God, telling them what would happen if they did not turn back from their sin. They did not turn back from their sin and devastation struck. The book of Lamentations is what happens uh, in the people of God after that devastation strikes. So we've been talking about grief. We've been talking about uh, trials and hard times and what it means to find yourself on the other side of, of, of losing it all. Lamentations is where we'll be today. Look at chapter one. I'm going to pick up in verse eight. In doing so, let me just uh, start with a couple of basic principles. Uh, these aren't just for lamentations. These are for the gospel. This is for life. But uh, let's nail these things down as we as we go to this text. First off, basic principle: sin is simple. Uh, sin is simple. Uh, we don't have to teach people how to sin. They they learn it on their own. They find out that it's fun. I mean, it's fun. I mean. It, I'm sorry, it just is. If it's not, you're doing it wrong. I mean, sin is just fun. Uh, but uh, sin is wrong. And uh, to define sin, the Bible would say it's missing the mark. It's, it's falling short of God's standard of moral perfection, which none of us can ever possibly meet. Um, I would say that sin is, is to know better, but then to do otherwise. And lots of times we always know the right thing to do, but we seem to, to do something else to fall short of that. And any time that we fall short of that way anytime we don't measure up to what God would have us to do. Anytime we know better but still do otherwise, that is sin. Sin is simple, but at the same time, sin has consequences, and those consequences can get very, very complicated. Ultimately, sin leads to death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So ultimately, that's exactly where the path of sin leads to destruction. But even in this life, sin brings suffering. Sin brings its consequences. You make your choices, and you think that you're a rock star on the red carpet living your life, but you cannot choose your consequences. Those are simply what come with the choices you make, and sin always has consequences. As I say, the consequences are complex. I can actually sometimes suffer for the uh, sins that other people commit. I can have consequences uh, on things that other people do. That's just the way sin operates. Uh, sin can create suffering for many people, not just the one who sins. So sin is simple. Sin has consequences. Next, guilt is complicated. And sin is simple, but guilt is complicated. And the guilt is that feeling that sometimes takes us over after we have done wrong, after sin comes guilt. Guilt is to be guilty, to know that you've done wrong and, and, and suddenly have to face the fact that you have fallen short, that you are this unworthy, this unclean kind of person. Uh, guilt is complicated. Guilt is the feeling that I have when I've done something wrong. The funny thing about guilt is sometimes I can feel guilty for things I've done with, that weren't necessarily wrong. 
uh, I guess we call that false guilt. Some of us feel guilty all the times for things that really aren't even sins. You know, you cut that little tag off the mattress and it says, you know, by penalty of law and you think, was, you know, was that wrong? And, and some of us really get, you know, tied up in knots over just crazy things like that. You know, you, you know, ate too many carbs last week and, you know, feeling guilty. Um, uh, it's strange how guilt can really become a, a difficult kind of burden for many of us. But I would add to that this, guilt is often entangled with grief. Now, last week we established that grief is that uh, emotion. It, it's the process that begins after you lose someone or something that's dear to you. And it's not always losing a person. Uh, grief is involved anytime we have, uh, have a loss. So if you lose your job or if you lose your family, if you lose your marriage through divorce, uh, the loss of your health, uh, all sorts of things can trigger grief. But understand, grief often just starts bringing guilt with it. And, and sometimes that guilt is, is, is justified and a part of it. Sometimes the guilt is, is not rational. Often in times of grief, in times of sorrow, in, in, in that sense, we can just become sort of overtaken with the, with the shoulda, couldas, and wouldas. You know, I, I wish I could have done something different. I wish we'd never put her in the nursing home. I wish I'd never let her, you know, go to that party. I, I wish I'd never said that. I wish that I'd said, I love you one more time. I wish I just could have, you know, let them know that they're forgiven. I mean, just so many shoulda, couldas, and wouldas that get uh, taken up with us in, in grief, and it just becomes this incredible entanglement. And that's what I want to talk about today as we look at this particular text. Um, when we have lost, when we suffer, it, it's sort of a natural question to ask, and it's just the question of, you know, is this caused by something I did? You know, did, did I bring this on myself somehow or, or on others? Is God punishing me? Those are the questions that ultimately can make grief just almost suffocatingly unbearable. So, so let's go to this text, and then let's talk about how this works in our own lives. Lamentations chapter 1. Remember, this is the worship book. This is the song, the poem that was written, the song that was sung after God's people have lost everything. They have lost everything. Their temple was destroyed. The city is destroyed. Many of their children were killed. Uh, lots of folks were taken off into captivity as slaves. Uh, the poorest of the poor are left in the city, and, uh, and, and this is how they sing. This is their song from Lamentations chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honored her now despise her, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide her face. She defiled herself with immorality and gave no thought to her future. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Lord, see my misery, she cries. The enemy has triumphed. That's the first prayer in the book of Lamentations. You see that? The enemy has plundered her completely, taking every precious thing she owns. She has seen foreigners violate her sacred temple, the place the Lord had forbidden them to enter. Her people groan as they search for bread. They've sold their treasures for food to stay alive. Oh, Lord, look, she mourns, and see how I am despised. Second prayer in Lamentations, you see that? Verse 12. Does it mean nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see if there is any suffering like mine, which the Lord brought on me when he erupted in fierce anger. 
He has sent fire from heaven that burns in my bones. He has placed a trap in my path and turned me back. He has left me devastated, racked with sickness all day long. He wove my sins into ropes to hitch me to a yoke of captivity. The Lord sapped my strength and turned me over to my enemies. I am helpless in their hands. The Lord has treated my mighty men with contempt. And at his command, a great army has come to crush my young warriors. The Lord has trampled his beloved city like grapes are trampled in a wine press. For all these things I weep, tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me. Any who might encourage me are far away. My children have no future, for the enemy has conquered us. Years ago, I I worked for a time as a cancer chaplain at Baptist Hospital in Louisville. Um, So I spent a lot of time with suffering people grieving people. Um, I remember one day in particular, I, I walked in a room, there's a new diagnosis, a woman named Winnie, uh, she had just been diagnosed with cancer. I introduced myself as the chaplain. And so first question out of her mind was, you know, chaplain, I just, I just want to know, is, is God punishing me? Do I have cancer because of something I've done? Now, I, I don't know what your instinct is. There's a part of me that just wants to say no. No, stop and give her the scientific explanation for why cancer happens. And I mean, part of what wants to do that, but, but I learned early, I can't do that. Honestly, that's a question that I just can't answer. I don't know what God is doing with this woman's cancer. So I just simply learned to say, I, I don't know. I, I said, Winnie, I don't know. What do you think? And then we talked from there. Um, some of you in this house, you, you, you are grieving, you have lost, you are, are suffering sickness, uh, disease, uh, trial, divorce, all, all sorts of hardships. And that's the kind of question you ask. Is there something I did that brought this on? Did I bring this on myself? Is God punishing me? Have I been singled out? And, and honestly, I can't answer that question for you. Let, let's talk about it. I want you to think about it, but but, I, but when you look at the book of Lamentations, it is very, very clear they brought this on themselves. Now, again, I, I can't say about your situation, but I'm telling you in their situation, it's clear. You can draw a straight line between where they are and what they did. It's not even hard. You can read the entire book of Jeremiah, as I keep telling you. He's called the weeping prophet because Jeremiah, with tears, was pleading with the people, pleading with the people. I mean, it's, it's the only sermon he ever got to preach. It was the same sermon, and it was just simply turn around, turn around. If we continue to go down this road together, we will all be destroyed together. Turn around. We have to change. We have to repent. We have to stop. I mean, Jeremiah just had the eyes to see that if we continue down this path, this is where this path leads. This is the path of sin. This is the path of turning away from God. And if we follow this path, we will suffer, we will die. I mean, he said it over and over and over. And nobody listened to Jeremiah. Nobody listened to him. So the people continued down the path, and it's exactly what Jeremiah preached. It's exactly what God had said, that if you continue down this path, you will face these consequences. 
So there is no mystery in the book of Lamentations. I mean, verse eight says it plain as a nose on your face. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All she can do is groan and hide her face. That's sin. Sin has consequences. Sin faces judgment. And understand that. Don't be surprised by that. God is holy and God cannot be mocked. Now, what complicates this for so many of us, though, is the way that in Lamentations, we're talking about group sin. And that's strange to us. It's the sin of a nation. Now, growing up as I did in North America, growing up as you have in the United States, most of you, you're sort of like me. We always think of ourselves as individuals, completely individual. I love my country. I'm a part of my country, but at the same time, I'm not. I mean, I see myself as an individual. Rugged individualism is sort of a part of the United States culture. We think of ourselves as individuals. So it's very difficult for us to understand the kind of guilt that is expressed in the book of Lamentations. This is corporate guilt. Not corporate like your business is a corporation. Corporate in the sense of, of, of all of us together. This is group guilt. It's group sin. See, you and I can't even think like that because, I mean, I know there are a lot of Christians in the United States who say, you know, this country is in the wrong direction and needs to come back to God. But when you say that, you don't usually mean you. You know, you're thinking about this country like, you know, California. You know, Logan County, you know, like people out there, you know, where sin is committed, but you're not really thinking about yourself. I mean, you, you see a lot wrong with, with everybody else in the world, but you don't internalize that. And for that matter, if the United States is sinning, you don't feel like you're part of that, but you are much more than you know. And the scripture sort of makes that clear. There is such a thing as national sin. Such a thing as national guilt, and God judges nations. And so everybody in the nation is suffering for the sins of the people, for the sins of the nation. And again, you and I, we would think that's not fair. Just how is that possibly fair? I mean, you know, other people are worse. You know, I wasn't that bad. I, I, you know, I was, I, was, I was there every time Jeremiah preached the sermon. I, was, I said, Amen. But you have to recognize, I mean, there's still a sense in which we're a nation, we're a group together, and and we're sort of complicit in each other's sin. There's a culture that we're all a part of. You're either part of the solution or part of the problem, and you have to recognize that all of us are sinners, and because of that, we're more a part of the problem than we ever, ever recognize. So the book of Lamentations is this expression of, of, of group grief, group Uh, repentance, group sin, group sorrows. Jerusalem has sinned greatly. I mean, the whole city, the whole nation. Did you understand that? So what is God doing? I mean, obviously there's punishment for sin. And I know some of you aren't comfortable with that. You don't think that God should do that. I mean, God is love. And for that reason, God should be sort of like your grandma. That's just, she thinks you're cute no matter what you do. But God's not like your grandma. Honestly, God is a holy God who is not mocked. And for that matter, he loves you more than your grandma loves you. And for that reason, he does not want to see you walk off a cliff to destruction. God is not going to just stand by and let you continue to sin because sin leads to death. 
I mean, God doesn't want to see you suffer. He doesn't want to see you die and go to hell. I mean, God loves you. He's not your grandma. He is fiercely holy and fiercely strong and fiercely dedicated to saving you. Understand that. So notice, it's sort of tucked in here in verse 13. It's an amazing fragment of a verse. Look at verse 13. He has sent fire from heaven that burns in my bones. Now, interestingly, that's the kind of thing Jeremiah said way back when he was preaching. He said that the word of God was like a fire shut up in his bones. In other words, he had to preach this message. It wasn't a message anybody wanted to hear. Nobody wanted to hear that God was about to judge their sin. Nobody wanted to hear that they were on a path that would lead to destruction. Nobody wanted to hear that. And Jeremiah, there's a part of him that didn't want to preach it. But he said, it's like fire in my bones. It just burns. And, and, and I could not be quiet if I wanted to be quiet, it burns in me. And, and it's interesting now, the same language, he has sent fire from heaven that burns in my bones. It, it's as if that word that they had heard, that word that they had heard that warned them of the consequences of sin, that word of, 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 of warning, that, that word of condemnation and doom, I mean, now that word continues to burn. But, but it's the fire of judgment now. He sent fire that burns in my bones. Get this. Here's the next phrase. He has placed a trap in my path and turned me back. That's actually a really good thing. Can you see that? That's actually a really beautiful thing. You say, wait, wait, God put a trap in the path? Yeah. Yeah, because you were on the wrong path. God put a trap in the path of the people so that not everything would be lost. I mean, God put a trap in the path to stop them down that road before everything is completely destroyed. This is mercy. How many times in your own life can you go back and say, man, that was horrible that that happened, but I'm telling you, that was a turning point of my life. It's it's that idea of a turning point that that matters. I I mean, he put a trap in my path that turned me back. In other words, the people are heading this way, and this is the path that leads to the destruction of everything. But God laid a trap. I mean, and God put an obstacle in the road. And and, and you get frustrated sometimes when God won't let you do what you want to do. And it makes you so mad because nobody ever tells you no, and you don't listen to the word no. But sometimes God will plant a giant no right in your path, and, and it is an act of his mercy. God placed a trap in their path to, to turn them back. So what is it that God is doing? What does God want to do? Is God just interested in punishing sin? Does he just want to put them under the heel of his boot and just crush them into the ground? No, no. God still wants them to come back home to him. God still just wants them to turn around. God wants to forgive them. God wants to restore them. Do you understand this? This, this trap that turns them around, this is a sign of God's mercy. God just wants to forgive God forgives sin. God judges sin for sure. But understand, God wants to forgive your sin. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how horrible you think your sin is. Do you understand this? It doesn't matter how you've suffered. It doesn't matter how you caused others to suffer. Do you understand? God just still wants you to come back to him. You turn around. You turn from your sin. You come back to him and God forgives. God always forgives. God will never, ever turn you away if you come to him with a repentant and broken heart. You understand? God loves you. 
God forgives you. But God is not going to just let you walk off the cliff of your destruction. That's because God loves you and God wants to save you. So understand, God wants to forgive. Even in the book of Lamentations, all of this is the brokenness that comes right before God does something wonderful to restore and bring his people back. God's going to do something beautiful. It's called forgiveness. It's a gift that God gives, literally a gift. Nobody deserves it. I mean, forgiveness by its very definition is undeserved. If you do something wrong, you deserve punishment. That's rational. That makes sense. Forgiveness never makes sense. Forgiveness is to say, yes, you deserve punishment, but I'm not going to punish you. I choose to forgive you. I'm showing you grace. You're not getting what you deserve. Instead, you're getting what you never deserve, mercy, grace, forgiveness. It's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift. And when God forgives, it is total forgiveness, complete forever forgiveness. The scripture says that he casts our sin into a sea of forgetfulness. Now, God is God. He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. He's a God whose mind is not flawed and limited like, like our minds, but God chooses to forget. In other words, once your sin is forgiven, God never brings it up again. Never. God doesn't bring it up again. It's forgiven. It's over. Jesus died for that. It's gone. Your sin is gone. As far as east is from the west, the scripture says, it's not going to come up again. It's not going to come back. It's gone. Okay, so why in my life does my sin keep coming back? For some of you right now, you've begged God's forgiveness for things for years. And you continue to live with this burden of guilt. I mean, right now, some of you are are just stuck in, in grief. And part of being stuck in that grief is living with the guilt. And, and you beg for forgiveness, and somehow it, 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 never, it never comes. Um, let me just remind you of something. When God forgives, it's complete, it's total. God doesn't bring it up again. So if it's coming back up, there's two possibilities for that. It's either the devil, it's definitely the devil. The devil is not interested in my forgetting ever the bad things I've done, if he can tie me up in knots with it. So it's either the devil or it's, uh, it, it's me. And honestly... I, without you know needing a lot of help from the devil i can do this all day long we talk about forgiving ourselves Let, let's talk about that well, what does it mean to to forgive yourself well i would say this first if if forgiving yourself is easy you're doing it wrong it's not supposed to be easy it, it's it's just not When we have sinned, it should not be something that would just shake off like water off a duck's back. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be like, you know, mm, know, I'm so sorry that I got drunk and ran over your grandma, but the good news is I've forgiven myself. You you know, no, no. 
It's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. So the very simple reason that this is something you struggle with, it's probably a, in some ways a good sign for your soul. Psalm fifty-one seventeen says this, speaking of the Lord, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. That's good news. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. I mean, God does not turn away a broken and repentant heart. A heart that's broken for sin. I mean, there's some sorrow involved in recognizing seriously what I've done. There's a brokenness, a brokenheartedness that goes with that. Repentance is that desire for change. Listen, I, I know what I've done. I, I, I never want to do that again. I'm not going back there. I want to change. And, and, and God will not reject a person who comes broken and repentant in that way. I mean, this is a good sign. This is how you come to the Lord. But of course, understand sort of the, the implied opposite of this verse I mean, the sort of inverted truth is that a heart that's not broken and not repentant, God will reject. I mean, a heart that is hard, a heart that's not repentant, the person who sins and knows their sin, but they're not sorry and they're not quitting, you know, they're not seeking repentance or feeling no sorrow. Understand that kind of heart is rejected by the Lord. You come with him with the offering of a broken and repentant heart. This is normal. This is how we do. This is how the sinner responds in the presence of a holy and gracious God. We come with a broken and repentant heart. But listen to me. It's not supposed to last forever. This brokenness. God does not intend that you live with that broken, repentant heart forever. Yes, when I sin, I come to him with a broken and repentant heart. But, but once I experience the forgiveness of the Lord, he does not intend that I still walk around broken. I'm not supposed to continue walking around guilty. I'm not supposed to walk around telling myself that I don't deserve happiness, that I don't deserve forgiveness, that I should just you know, continue to be punished and continue to, to feel this burden. No, this is not supposed to last your lifetime. This is not a way of life for you. It's, it's a way of coming back to God. But once you come back to God, he, he wants to set you free. He sets you free from this. But it's very, very difficult for us to accept this gift. Here's the thing. God gives you the gift, so let yourself receive it. This is what it means to forgive yourself. Understand? The gift comes from God. It is always God before whom we sin, and therefore it is always God who ushers forgiveness. This is God's gift. You didn't sin against yourself. You're not in the place to forgive yourself. So get it straight. God gives you the gift, but you have to let yourself receive it. This is what it means to forgive yourself. It's hard. I mean, to let yourself off the hook, I mean, who who are you just to say that you can walk free from it. I mean, you did it. You you add this to the pain of loss. You add this to the complication of grief and, and it becomes almost unbearable because the person that you hurt, the person that you harmed may not even be alive anymore, you know, to offer you forgiveness. You may not even be able to say you're sorry. I mean, how in the world do you receive this gift, this grace from, from, from a person who's gone forever? Or maybe a person who refuses himself to forgive you. Maybe it's an ex-husband, an ex-wife, and you would love to just try to get some forgiveness for some of what you know that you've done, but they're not hearing it. They're not offering it. You need to understand, forgiveness is always the gift that God gives. You can be forgiven if nobody else ever forgives you. 
Forgiveness comes from God. It's God's gift. It's God's grace. You have to let yourself receive it, though. You have to recognize that, no, you don't deserve it. It's a gift, and it's grace. And that means you are allowed simply to walk free. You don't have to be guilty anymore. You don't have to be punished anymore. All of that is taken away. God is a good and gracious God. He gives you the gift, so let yourself receive it. This is what it means to forgive yourself. Now, understand, just because you don't feel forgiven, it doesn't mean you're not forgiven. Now, I struggle with this. In my head, I know that God forgives, and I know that he's forgiven me, but I don't feel forgiven. I still feel bad. I have a really tender conscience, you guys, I do. I feel bad for things I did years ago, years ago. I go to my high school reunion and I see kids, and I've been out of high school for, well, like 40 years, but I'll see kids and I remember, man, I wasn't really very nice to you and I will feel horrible. And then I wonder, do I bring this up? You know, I am, I'm, I'm so sorry, you know, that, that I, I, I put your face in the onion dip on the school bus. I am so but then I think, does he really want to bring that back up? Does he want to remember the onion dip? On, I mean, I don't want to remember the onion dip, but I still just remember I wasn't, I wasn't nice, you know. I don't always feel forgiven because, honestly, I don't, I don't feel like I deserve forgiveness. <laughs> but it doesn't matter how you feel. Just because you don't feel forgiven doesn't mean you're not forgiven. This is a good verse from John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. Now, uh, underline this verse if you're a person like me who needs this verse. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. In the old King James Version, it said, uh, even if our hearts condemn us. But, but, but this is what it means, and this is from the New Living Translation. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. Again, King James, even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Remember that old verse? It's that verse. But this is what that verse means. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. (laughs) In other words, he knows what you did. And he knows the damage. He actually knows better than you do the damage you caused. The thing is, there's like parts of this you don't even see. Like you don't know the second and third, you know, consequences of the way your sin ripples out. God knows it all. He knows exactly the seriousness of your sin. And yet he says you're forgiven. So you're forgiven. Even if you feel guilty, God is still greater than your feelings. It's done. It's over. It's forgiven. It's a gift he gives you. Let yourself receive it. You don't have to live guilty. Now in times of grief, the thing you have to understand is that you'll get stuck in your grief if you can't get over your guilt. Goes back to what I say. So Pastor Tim, are you saying then that, that, that my loss, that my suffering is, 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 is directly related to something I did? I'm telling you again, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is guilt is kind of the same no matter what. You've got to learn to get past this guilt whether it's real guilt or false guilt, you've got to learn to deal with it. Now, if you know that there are things that you have done that, that, that are sinful, you confess that sin and receive forgiveness. It's simple. And honestly, in any situation, I can look back and see that I did not, I did not do everything well there. I fell short. I, I always sinned. I always could have done things better. I always could have said I love you. I mean, I always could have been better. So there's always confessing, always sin in my life that needs forgiving, just always. But, but there still may be guilt left over is what I'm saying. And that's the guilt you've got to learn how to get past. And this is the only way past it. It's called grace. 
God shares it with you. God gives it to you, but you have to allow yourself to live in it. It's called grace. So here's the thing. What if you never forgive yourself? What if you never learn this? What if you never get this part? If you will not forgive yourself, three things. First, if you won't forgive yourself, you're committing the twin sins. All right, get this. Two sins at once. You didn't even think you were that talented. But if you will not forgive yourself, you commit two sins at once. And I'm telling you, that's hard to do without, you know, knocking something out of joint. But you're committing two sins at once. The first is a sin of pride. You say, well, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. If you're feeling guilty, how is that pride? Well, it's the pride of, of simply saying to God, my sin is so big, even God can't forgive it. My sin is so serious that even Jesus' blood can't wash it away. My sin is different. My sin is different than all the sins of the world that Jesus died for. I'm telling you, that's pride. You sure have a lot of confidence in your badness. You understand? That's still pride. It's a little overblown, you know, sense of yourself. If you really think that you're such a sinner that God can't forgive you, you really need to get over yourself just a little bit. That's pride. That's just one of your sins. The other one, unbelief. I mean, Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast away, right? Jesus says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. I mean, Jesus says over and over and over, you know, you confess your sins, you'll be forgiven. I mean, sort of cover to cover in the Bible, God forgives sins. This is what God does best. So if you simply can't receive that, if you can't believe that, that's the sin of unbelief. Do you understand that? You just can't believe when God says your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. I mean, that's two sins at once. That's pride and uh, unbelief. That's, that's not good for you. Uh, next, if you won't forgive yourself, you will forever try to pay for your own sins. I feel like I see this in people's lives. And maybe it's just my, my role as a pastor, but I, I see people who just can't be happy. Like no matter what, like you'll actually see them get their life together and, and like, like she finally found a good guy and they're gonna settle and get married and then she'll blow it up. Like it's like, you know, just blow it, like blow up their own life. And you think, why would anybody, why, you know, it would have been so easy just to be happy. Why can't she just be happy? Or you'll see people who just continue to live lives of misery and guilt. And really, if you can never just receive the grace that God gives, then you live without it. If you can never receive his forgiveness, then you get guilt. And guilt is just poison to your soul. And guilt will continue to, to tell you that you deserve punishment, that you're unworthy, that, that, that you're filthy, that God can never love you, that nobody will ever love you, you understand? This is what guilt does. And it takes you to the place where, I mean, if you won't let Jesus pay for your sins, then the only one left whose name is on the bill is you. So then you've got to pay for your own sins. And I think that's where people often just go through their whole life seeking punishment. I mean, they punish themselves or they'll find somebody who will punish them. Some of you are actually pretty good at going out, finding somebody and marrying somebody who will punish you for the rest of your life. I mean, seriously, it's like you go through, you know, and you swipe left on everybody who might be an ax murderer because you pick him out and marry him, you know, so he can make you miserable. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm being serious. 
I think there are people who just because of their inability to accept forgiveness for their sins, they just live lives where they just try to pay it off on their own. And it's a horrible, horrible lost way to live. If you won't forgive yourself, you'll try to pay for your own sins because you won't let Jesus do it, understand? Um, last thing, I, I know this, is, this will sound hard to you, but if you won't forgive yourself, you're never gonna truly know God since you refuse the first and greatest gift he offers you, and that's grace. I mean, you're not gonna really know God because this is how we all come to God. I mean, the first prayer that you pray when you come to God is a prayer of repentance and, and forgiveness. You know, God, I, I know that I'm a sinner. W will you forgive me of my sins and give me a new life? I mean, th that's what we call salvation. That's where salvation begins. And, and if you can't take that first step, if, if you can't receive forgiveness, if you can't accept his grace, then you're never gonna know him. He has sent fire from heaven that burns in my bones. He has placed a trap in my path and turned me back. He's left me devastated, racked with sickness all day long. For all these things I weep, tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me. In the book of Lamentations, what makes the grief so much heavier is that sense that they brought it on themselves. So Pastor Tim, do you think I brought this on myself? I'm telling you, I don't know. Everybody's situation is different. I don't know. But all I know is this. Whatever sins that you're guilty of, God forgives if you come to him with a broken and repentant heart, he will not reject you. God does not want you to live this life of grieving, feeling guilty. You can be set free. It's called grace. Pray with me.